0: Um, so this morning, um, I'm just going to pray in a second, but you can, maybe if you want to, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus is easy because it's the second book in the Bible. So get to Genesis. Next book is Exodus. Go to chapter 33 and we're going to look at Exodus 33, a couple of verses from Exodus 34. Um, and we'll kick over to the New Testament and, and, uh. Probably look mainly at second Corinthians chapter three um, and maybe Matthew sixteen but let's see how much how let's see what the Lord wants to do I'm just going to pray Lord we thank you uh, we just received communion um, thank you um, and uh, we just want to thank you Lord that we have unhindered access because of what you've done and we thank you that because of that Lord Jesus that you are amongst us by your spirit right here right now lord we we honor you but we humble ourselves before you we 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 just recognize the fear of the lord that while you are so wonderful and loving you are also awesome and great and worthy and high high above and uh, lord we we just want to say have your way, open up our eyes this morning by your Holy Spirit to see into the kingdom of heaven and let it actually manifest in transformation. Lord, I pray that you would teach all of us to be a people of encounter, that we would encounter you, that we would seek your presence, seek your face, that that would be what transforms us and causes us to Release transformation, minister transformation to all that you send us to in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're looking at is kind of along the lines of what I just prayed. Is that, and this will make more sense I think by the end if it doesn't make sense at the beginning. Is that revelation brings transformation. Transformation inside you. And that is what causes manifestation of the will of God through our lives. So revelation, the unveiling of our hearts, seeing Jesus, causes transformation. We're going to look at that 2 Corinthians 3 in a minute. Causes transformation, and that is what causes manifestation. I want to humbly I'm, I'm just going to say some things, and I do like to poke fun sometimes. I get naughty. You guys know, and it gets me in trouble, so <laughs> my wife is trying to help me. I, I do want to say some things that you see in church uh, that, that would be opposite to what I just described. And when I say that, I honestly, sincerely want to say this, that I am not coming standing here before you as one who is better than the other pastors who may be involved in what I'm about to tell you. I'm not better. I'm not purporting that Border City Church is the answer, because it's not. Jesus is the answer. Having said that, I do want to be love Jesus enough to hate what he hates and to sometimes point out some things that we can get involved in and ways that we do church that are not consistent with the scripture. And I, one big thing is church sometimes can put burdens on people. Burdens. And I'll just kind of toss a couple ideas of what I have in mind when I say this. There are churches that, have, uh, that drive the people to come to endless meetings uh, throughout the week. Uh, all with the best of intentions, but it ends up becoming a dry, a, a, a driving thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or with issues of tithing. And uh, we've, you know, I mean, Scripture teaches tithing. However, in the church, we have leaders who kind of force people to tithe. I've heard of elders hunting the people down when they've not been tithing and knocking on the door and saying, what's going on? I'm not so sure if we see Jesus doing that so much. Uh, and if it's not that, then it's manipulative things from the front to kind of create an atmosphere of pressure. That is not the kingdom of heaven. Or, and again, I'm, not, I'm being humble. I'm not better. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just calling some stuff out. Or what about serving the pastor in his will? And we get into this thing where the pastor is kind of like elevated from amongst the common folk. And if he is that, then to serve him is to serve God. And so we want to please the pastor at all costs because he is the man of God. And I want to say, according to scripture, we all are the man and woman of God. The pastor just has a certain role amongst the flock. He's not elevated above. Are you hearing me? Uh, I'm, or in some cases, I kind of alluded to it earlier, intimidated by the elders. If you step out of line, there's like this, like you are going to know it. And it's not going to be acceptable, but it's all about behavior. And so the atmosphere that is created is that you toe the line and you do not step out of the line because you know you're not going to be helped if you step out of line. You're going to be the hammer. Exactly. And a lot of it boils down to insecurities of leadership. Because I need you to serve my vision so that my ministry looks good. And after all, my ministry is what God has called me to. And so it's from God. And so if you really love God, you're going to serve my ministry. Am I making sense? We get into manipulative practices. And uh, I just want to say all of what I just described... Looks a whole lot like what we read of in Exodus chapter 2. We're not going to look at that now. But Exodus chapter 2, the people of God were in Egypt. They were in slavery and in bondage to the Is- to the Egyptians. Because the Egyptians were getting uh, concerned about them. And so they put them... They put taskmasters over them and they force them into hard labor. And I want to say that in church, sometimes we see a system that looks a lot like hard labor where people are trying to serve God, but this thing is like a heavy yoke. And what is the heavy yoke? Well, it's church. Uh, I just want to humbly say, and, and as a leader, I'm, you know, God help me before anybody else. Help me. Let our atmosphere be one of the kingdom and reign of Jesus. And I want to say this. All of what I just described is trying to exact a manifestation out of people. A behavior. Oftentimes, it's good behavior that we're trying to get. Uh, Can I say people should be tithing? People should be going to church meetings and being faithful and that kind of thing. But it's because we have first had a revelation that has brought transformation to me. Desires in my heart and those lead to a manifestation. It will never come from the outside in. It always in the kingdom of God comes from the inside out. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 3. Because this is so important. This is in a sense the institution of the old covenant by which God related to his people which was by a law and what we see here in this passage of scripture two chapters 33 and 34 we see the, the essence of that old covenant which is this a people serving God one step removed from God there being something in between them and God. And in the new covenant, God wants you to have an encounter. Not to have an encounter in 1996 or 5, whenever I first met the Lord. And it'd be somewhere on my calendar, marked in my history. He wants us to live in fellowship, communion, and encounter. And that is what causes the manifestation To to come, and in Exodus chapter 3, you can pick up with me in verse 18. And he, that's Moses, said, please show me your glory. Now, that's not Old Covenant. Next verse. But he said, you cannot, God said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. We are in Exodus chapter 33. If you really submitted to me, you would have heard 33. <laughs> well done, Sandra. <laughs> I'll start over. Verse 18 of chapter 33. And he, Moses, said, please show me your glory. Verse 20. But he, God, said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Can we pause right there and just recognize this? The glory of God is awesome. I don't think, we, even those of us who have encountered something of his glory and it's transformed our lives, I want to say we've only had a drop in the bucket. Verse 21, And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then I, listen to this, will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you sh- shall not be seen. So God so Moses the picture here he wants to see the glory of God. And I want to say to us this morning, let that be the cry of the church, Lord, show me your glory. I don't want to see church. Please don't hear me church is so important, but church is the vehicle In a vehicle has no purpose at all if there's no one in the vehicle. And and the vehicle houses God's glory. The church is to be a people who are encountering God's glory, who are hungry to see God's glory. Now let's hear what happens when somebody not just sees his face, doesn't even see his face, just the backside of the Lord. Here's what happens if you go to chapter 34. For some of you who aren't listening well, I didn't say chapter 4, I said 34. No, I said three, I know, I'm, I'm being silly. Chapter 34, let's listen to this. So, so, so this is what happens after Moses prays and asks to see his glory and this whole plan that God has, he goes up into Mount Sinai and, he, uh, and, and this, is, this is where this encounter happens. Chapter 34, go down to verse 29, please. And it says, now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. So he had just encountered the backside of, of God. And the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain. That's speaking of the law that God gave him and inscribed onto stone. That Moses did not know, listen to this, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. What is the point there? What's the idea? Moses encountered God's glory and the result was that the glory of God rested on moses even after he left that place verse 30 so when aaron and all the children of israel saw moses behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him i want you to take close note of that they were afraid think of that why would they be afraid what I want to point out is there is something in the sin nature of humanity that is afraid of the real deal. Most of us, what I just described about issues in church, I don't know, but I imagine most in this room agree with what I say. Agree that, yeah, those things are problems. That's not good. But do you know that just not doing those things isn't the answer? The antidote is Is encounter the Lord. Let manifestation. let, let, Let the transformation come from encountering the Lord. Not just being controlled and manipulated by pastoral leaders. And so they were afraid. Are we afraid. Of really. Facing the Lord. Are we afraid of. That place of encounter an experience where we acknowledge him for who he is where can I say if we really saw all of it we would die where the only logical and right way of responding into his presence is to yield everything so they were afraid I would say that that speaks of rejecting intimacy intimacy Moses, give me, vicariously through your encounter, what God has said, and we will do that. Let us read these two tablets of stone and find out, you, man of God, what you would say that God has said, I don't want to hear directly from God. Are you starting to get the picture? Sandra is. Verse 31, then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. And afterward all the children of Israel came near and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. He gave them as commandments. They hadn't encountered the glory of the Lord. They only are receiving through Moses commandments that God gave to Moses. New covenant, God wants to talk to you. In that day, God says, I will give a new covenant. And no more shall, they, shall one man say to another, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Verse 32, afterward the children of Israel, uh, sorry, verse 33, and then when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. I want you to take note of that. We're going to get back to that later in a few minutes. He put a veil on his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord, that's into the tent of meeting, to speak with him, he would take the veil off. So when, when Moses would go into the tent of meeting, where the ark of the testimony was, where the presence of God was, not on Mount Sinai, but in the tent that they had, he would go in there and he meet directly with God. And it's very important that we notice that in that place, when he wanted to meet with God, the veil had to be removed. Why? Because we can't have veils over our heart when we're really encountering God. My friends, so many times we try to approach God, but we have all sorts of veils. We have all sorts of things that we're not actually giving to him. That we're keeping from him. That we're trying to keep hidden. We're not inviting him and allowing him into that space. And what Moses had to do when he would go into that place and go back into the presence of God is to remove the veil. That's very, very important. We can't play religious games and try to encounter the realness of God. So he took the veil off until he came out and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak with him, him being God. Early on in, in my experience with God, after becoming you know, a born-again believer and follower of Jesus, around my senior year of high school, when I've started to understand something of the quest of knowing him. I can remember many nights lying on my bed at the end of the night and 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 just by knowing God, knowing Jesus enough to know that because he is who the scriptures say he is, he is worthy of my obedience. And as I was seeking to know him, I can remember the moments of just, I would be lying on my bed, but just kind of even open up my my arms to him just as a response to acknowledging his presence and just saying, Lord, show me your will. I want to follow it. Now, how many of you know when you really it's a dangerous prayer. It's a very vulnerable prayer. You know what I'm saying? To really pray that prayer. Like, Lord, I want to follow, I want to obey you. I want to do whatever it is. Just speak to me. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you. I think God is so pleased with that. And, and how many of, of our prayers are actually all about, God, you come over here to do what I want you to do. And the, 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 the reality is if we could just get the church to, realize we don't need God to do what we think he needs to do. We need to follow him, and that's going to take care of everything, both in our lives and through our lives. Let's pray more like Moses. Lord, show me your glory. And I can remember, even in those early times, beginning to experience the presence of God, the sense of his glory in surrounding me connecting with his glory. It was from those experiences that I was led into doing the things that ultimately became my call. And this is what I want to say. We need, we don't need people to be towing the line in church in the city of Detroit, just doing all the stuff that church demands of them. But we do need people to be manifesting the will of Jesus so that Detroit sees Jesus through the church that's what we need and that happens by a church who is not just trying to do church so well but they're doing church so well because they're following the head of the church not following me I'm not the head I'm a pastor I'm, under, I'm an under-shepherd, under Jesus, with Rodney. But we are hopefully following him, and that we all follow him together, and we all know him together. So let's, let's, uh, I, you have a call is what I'm getting at. And that does not come by you just towing the line and doing all the stuff that you know Christians ought to do. It's going to come from you encountering Jesus. And I want to, us to be a culture of people ...who make that number one priority. Jesus. Encounter with Jesus. Everything else, my friends, is religion. Are you starting to understand why we sing that, by the way? Some of you are probably like, oh, well, I thought religion was good. I mean, What we mean by religion is everything that we're doing in his name... ...that he's actually not involved in. So, let's, let's move on. The, I just want to say, uh, having just read this about Moses... If you go with me to John chapter 1, I just want to read one verse. In John chapter 1, verse 14, and to say in opposition or in conclusion of what we just read of in the story of Moses, in the glory of God, is that Jesus has come to make a way for mankind to be able to encounter God and live. In, in in essence, that is the whole point. You see, when Jesus was crucified at around 3 p.m. on that Good Friday, the scripture says, according to Matthew, that in that moment, there was an earthquake and graves were shaken. The earth was shaken and that in the temple, the veil that separated the Inner court, the holiest of holies from the inner court was torn in two from top to bottom. Some of you may say, well, who cares about a veil? Well, it was kind of like you see this burgundy veil back here? This is that a veil, a curtain, yeah, a curtain. That was something like what was in the holiest of holies in the temple in Jerusalem, except it was one, there was no partition, there was no parting, it was just one solid piece of fabric. And when Jesus was crucified, it was torn in two from top to bottom. Why is that important? Because on the other side was the presence of God. And no one went onto the other side except for the high priest once a year. And even when he did, he had to tie a rope around his ankle. Because if he died in the presence of God because he was unworthy, they would, nobody would be able to come in and get him out because they would die too. So they had to pull him out with a rope. That was the seriousness of this. And when Jesus died... That thing was torn in two, signifying that the way into the presence of God has been made. And that same Jesus, in John chapter 1, this is what we read. This is what John the Apostle has to say about Jesus. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory As of the only begotten of of the Father, full of grace and truth. Are you seeing the connection here? That mankind could not encounter the glory of God in the Old Covenant. And that is the whole heart of God, is that His children know Him. And you can't know Him without knowing His glory. And that in Jesus, we have the ability to behold the glory of God. Now, having said that, if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I enunciated that clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, one of my absolute favorite pieces of scripture. I want to say it before we get into verse 13 through 18. That God's will is to transform us into his image. Now some of y'all, even hearing that, you're like, I've already lost you. Because you don't believe it. Transform me into God's image? I'm not the one coming up with this stuff. We're about to read it. How are we going to be transformed into the image of the Son of God according to what we're about to read? By seeing him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Unlike Moses, you guys remember Moses? Remember what we just said about Moses, that whole story? Well, this is what Paul's talking about right here. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. That's the old covenant. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, and it would even be true of us to say this day, June 4th, 2023, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. The same veil, my friends, can even get back on our own hearts the veil is not to be brought into the moment of encounter it can't be brought into the moment of encounter and if we want encounter we have to remove that veil to see jesus this scripture before i go on to tell us how to take away the veil tells us clearly implicitly we can see god's glory in christ would you agree Let's read on. But even to this day, when Moses is read, that means the Old Testament, the law, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When your heart looks to Jesus and receives him for who he is, Lord, So much of the church only wants to relate to Jesus as Savior. But the very way in which He becomes Savior is when the knee is bowed to His Lordship. And I've said it before, but let's say it again. If I fall into a ditch, it's got to be a deep ditch for me to fall in and not climb out, right? I'm a tall dude. If I fall into a ditch and I'm trying to get out, and I start calling for help, for salvation, somebody come rescue me from this ditch... And if Jesus comes to the edge of that ditch, and he reaches his hand down, and all I do is say, thank you for saving me. You are the Savior. Praise you, Jesus. Am I being helped? I've got to put my hand into his hand. I've got to follow him up. I've got to allow his power to pull me. I've got to... Submit myself to what he's giving to me in order for me to be saved. Jesus cannot be Savior in your life without being Lord. How does the veil get removed? When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I like the way the King James says it. It says in verse 15, a veil lies on their heart. And in the King James says, nevertheless, when it turns to the Lord the veil is taken away because the veil without a doubt lies on your heart we like to play games with God we like to go into our prayer closet and we know how to chant and how to do all this stuff and how to get our prayer going and all this stuff and the whole time a veil lies on the heart and we're not actually connecting and that is the place where life exists That is the sweet spot. That's where we get to see the glory of God. I'm not saying that you see and experience the weightedness of the glory of God every time you pray. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that should be the passion and hunger and drive because there is no other thing that we're ever going to have in this world or after that is surpassing than the experience of the glory of God. Now what happens when we have that experience? What happens to a person when they encounter something? We saw in the, Moses that he comes back shining the very glory that he had seen. There was something physically manifesting that happened. Well, what happens according to this scripture when Christians encounter the glory of the Lord? It says in verse 17, Now the Lord is the spirit, and we're the spirit of the what? Where the Spirit of the Lord, not just Savior, where the Spirit of the Lord is. In other words, where His Lordship is established. This morning, I hope that in our worship, there was something of the Spirit of the Lord in this room. That there were hearts turning to His Lordship and surrendering to Him. Where, where that happens, guess what else is there? There is liberty, there's freedom. I want to tell you in that place where I have encountered surrender to him. I have experienced in my heart a freedom that I don't know if I have words to, de- to actually describe it to somebody who's never experienced it. You just know you're in good hands. And you know that in your hands you're not in good hands. And you feel, even though you feel like you have, you have taken a step of courage to trust him with everything... Even though there is a sacrifice of that, you realize that, that there's no sacrifice at all. In fact, you're just an idiot to not, all due respect, I'm not calling anybody in here an idiot, but it's just a bad idea to not yield to the one who spoke all things in the being and who is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so there's liberty, there's freedom in that atmosphere but in verse 18, check this out. But we all, does that include you? Yeah. We all. There are people in this room who feel like they can never experience what I'm talking about because they're just not good enough, they're not spiritual enough, they're not whatever enough. We all, with unveiled face. You see, it's not about how spiritual you are, it's are you willing to remove the veil? with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Lord, Spirit of the Lord. My friends, this is the new covenant. Not to have Moses come down from the mountain and tell you how to serve his ministry and to manipulate and try to get you to do something that's going to make the church look good. The new covenant, what Jesus died on the cross for, was to give you access to him. That In seeing him, you become like him. And people encounter the glory of God because they encounter you because you encountered the glory of God. That is the point of the church. I'm not yelling at you. I am passionate about this because... my, my, My Jesus died for this. We're spinning wheels as long as this isn't the whole point. Can I quickly say, if you go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is walking with his disciples and has a profound moment of teaching with them to instruct them in the very thing that we're looking at here. And it says in verse 13 that as they were on their way to Caesarea Philippi, he asked them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said to him, some say... Let me get there. I'm gonna paraphrase. Some say John, some say John or Elijah, Elijah or Jeremiah or Isaiah, one of the prophets. And he says to them, And who do you say that I am? This is. The question. There is no greater question. The answer to that, and it cannot be a multiple choice or a short story, it it is something that can only come from your heart. That same Jesus, my friends, still asks that same question to his church. Many would say if their heart were truly known, Jesus, you are Savior. Jesus, you are the one that I need help from. I've got this stuff going on. I need you to help me. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, why, why, who do you say that I am? Why is he asking that question? Because everything that he will build in the earth through his church is built on that Revelation. Who do you say that I am? And Peter stood up from them and said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the living God." And I've said often those words were blasphemous. Christ? That's a little edgy to actually say that this guy's the Messiah. That's those are strong words. Son of God? Jews weren't expecting somebody to be the Son of God. There is no son of God in the Jewish idea. To call a man a son of God is blasphemous. Peter rightly should have been stoned to death for saying such a thing. Blasphemous. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. How would he have the boldness and audacity to say such a thing? It's because of what Jesus says to him in response. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood, in other words, mankind has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock, what rock? What he had just confessed, revelation of who Jesus is. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Are we catching a picture here? We can do our best to do church well. We can be committed and we can try all of our stuff. It will come to nothing. The church that Jesus is building, the gates of hell can't prevail against that one. But that one is only built by people who have seen something. They haven't just decided to be good people and try to have self-improvement by coming to church because that's going to be good for my life. They have seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ and he has become everything. That people, Jesus can do what he wants to do with. I want to be of that camp. I don't if you can hear my heart, don't really care if I look good. In fact, I would kind of prefer not to look good. Lest I receive any glory, because it's fruitless for any of us to receive glory. He is the only one who's glorious. So I wonder if we can just respond even right now, just An opportunity right now to turn to him.